Hello and welcome to Please Watch This, where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to each other so we can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? My name's Sam Blakely, as always I'm joined by Hugh Dempsey. How's it going, Hugh? Hi Sam, you alright? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. You, uh, you know, any news this week? Anything eventful happened in your little life? Um, I got some new headphones. <laughs> is that eventful? That is, you know, this, sexy is, this is the news. levels where this is the levels we're at now with because of Corona. You know what? What used to be running the mill. I bought a thing and nobody would talk about it. It was like <laughs> I'm off to do this, and this happened to me. It's like yeah. I made a purchase <laughs> in a shop. I walked more than a mile today. <laughs> How exciting! But speaking of yeah. exciting, we are here joined by a brand new guest. You know, we're sick of the old stale ones. You know, the ones that have been back and forth. Um, and it's Dakota. Yeah. I don't know. How to, is it Arsenal? <laughs> how do you pronounce your your surname, Dakota? Arsenal. Arsenal, that, that, Arsenal. that makes sense. From uh, from the from the podcast Contrazoom Pod. Now not Contrazoom anymore, but Contrazoom Pod. Dakota, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, for having a Canadian on. <laughs> it's a new th- it's a new thing for us. <laughs> it's I think. All right. It's people who apologise more than the British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to our to our um, our listeners. What sort of a film? stir are you you know what 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 uh, really drives your boat <laughs> <laughs> uh well yeah as uh, as you said i'm dakota arsenault i host contra zoom pod it's uh usually a bi-weekly lately this summer because i literally have nothing else going on in my life it's been a weekly show there's been some stuff going on in the world that made my time more free Right. Uh, <laughs> you might have heard of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, some people here and there might have heard about it around the world. Um, but yeah, I I love movies. I I originally went to school for acting. I'm not good enough of an actor to actually do it, but that didn't stop my passion. And so now I decide to talk about movies. This is not my full time job, but it, sometimes it feels like it is, considering <laughs> I, I spend more time hmm. thinking about what my next episode is going to be than I probably should hmm. be. Mm-hmm. I love classic mm-hmm. cinema. I love the Oscars, um, noir stuff like that. Is is what I really am into. But I'm also I also love keeping up with with current films because you know at the end of the year it makes it a lot easier to do a top ten list if you've actually seen more than ten movies. <laughs> Here's a top six it's list. Be difficult this year, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a point. Five yeah. and a half films I watched this what's year. The, uh, what's the last film you saw at the cinema, Dakota? Oh, you know, I probably should have this prepared because I feel like I see everyone on Twitter being like, oh, I can't believe the last thing I saw on Twitter <laughs> on, in cinema was was Birds of Prey or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And to be honest, I, I can't remember. It probably was uh, late, early February, late January as I was gearing up for the Oscars. So it might have been some sort of obscure foreign language film that I can't right. remember now. So you're trying to you're trying to get as much uh, to trying to see as many of the Oscar films as possible. Yeah, I do something called the Oscars Death Race, which is where you torture yourself for three and a half months of trying to watch literally every single nominated movie. And this past year was actually the first year that I actually completed it, got 100%, including short films. Before every other year, I'm always like one or two short because you can't get that like that last documentary or one of the international (laughs) films just doesn't have a release date anywhere Mm. sort of thing. But this year, like all the stars sort of lined up where I was able to watch everything either in the theater uh, on Netflix because Netflix had a whole bunch of stuff or, yeah. you know, other ways online. Do you have a strong opinion on whether or not uh, whether or not Netflix films should be Oscar, um, what's the word, you know, valid? 
nominated. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I I have no idea with it. I no no problem with it. Sorry, I I do understand the sort of need to see movies in theaters, and as long as Netflix is still doing limited engagement in theaters. I, I'm sort of fine with it. During a time like this, they're they're kind of being a bit weird with the rules where they're saying that if a movie had originally planned to have a theatrical release but now can't and they are just releasing it digitally, they're still going to be eligible. But movies that only right. were scheduled to be digitally released are not eligible. So um, what... I like not that I think Trolls World Tour is gonna you know be best picture nominee, <laughs> but maybe it'll be a best animated feature mm-hmm. nominee that mm-hmm. was scheduled to be released in theaters, but it wasn't. It was just dropped onto whatever service it was on. I think it was Hulu or something. And that Disney is still Plus, eligible. Well. Oh, maybe not actually. Yeah. So last year, did you have like a favorite film out of all the films that you watched for your Oscar death race? What was your favorite one? Ooh, from the actual Oscars, that's a that's a yeah. little bit tricky. But my favorite movie of the year last year was The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, I don't know if well, I've not seen it. It was a pretty small movie. It was it was a very intimate I did portrait. Hear about it. Uh, it was an A24 movie, which I really love their stuff. Mm, but I'm pulling yeah. up my my letterbox list of what my my favorite movies from last year were, and that should be able to tell me what my favorite Oscar ones. Right now, I'm just talking so that way it's not <laughs> <awkward>. <laughs> just see you filming. Uh, yeah, just just filling for time. He's a pro. <laughs> He's he, this isn't his first rodeo. Um, I don't know what was yours. I think mine was. Uh, 1917 mm. of the films I can remember Love that. the last yeah. one I that was insanely good the last film I saw at the cinema this year was The Lighthouse and that's mm. definitely challenging for one of my favourites yeah that was really fantastic Yeah, what won the best piss picture Oscar what was it uh, Parasite won best picture oh of course yeah and, oh, and, and Donald Trump seen that. I've Donald Trump seen imploded that. as a result <laughs> lost his damn mind <laughs> great <laughs> film great film <laughs> so yeah my favourite um, Oscar movie was well, probably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood although 1917 was very close behind it do you think 1917 was kind of it was boosted by it's what you might call a gimmick you know of being one shot but it also bred uh, you know criticism you know by having a same with boyhood people sort of don't like it because it's got the gimmick um, but it also is what gets it more attention it's a real double edged sword I don't have any problem with that like I mean, there every film has some sort of a conceit going for it especially the ones that have you know a quote unquote voice to it in 1917 is about you know 24 hours in the life of this these two young boys in war and you know yeah. what's wrong with that like it it i i think it actually shows more skill to be able to do it that way than than if it was just a traditional edited film uh, mm. Because they had to do it so perfectly where they had, you know, these two to five minute scenes where, you know, if you're wa- rewatching, you could tell where the cuts are every time they'll like go behind a tree or something like that. That's yeah. obviously a cut, but that doesn't diminish it in any way to me. Like it becomes part of the process of trying to spot it too. And that's the fun. Yeah. And, and some of the cuts were so incredible because they had to use a little bit of CGI to, to achieve it. Cor- I think it's Corridor Crew covered some of the really amazing cuts because like you say they yeah they pass behind somebody but even then there's a lot of technical skill and so on 
uh, going into that. So, Sam, what we like to do for new guests on the podcast is uh, we like to put them on the spot and ask them what their five favourite films are so <laughs> our audience can get to know you a bit better and see what's your... We didn't let you know this ahead of time, so we've kind of <laughs> dropped you in it. So what would be your fav- favourite films in five minutes or less <laughs> you know. I, I think that's probably a good caveat to put on because I think if you ask yeah. any movie nerd yeah. they'll talk for half an hour yeah um, yeah, yeah I, I talk about a specific you know thing. this is this is probably pretty easy for me I usually say that I have about four favorite films to begin with three to four so it's very easy to start 12 mm. Angry Men is my my sort of yes. go-to classic oh, film yeah. we actually covered that, that. was he would oh, never see that, it, so that was kind that of like episode. a that was like an early movie for me where it's I was kind possible. of like seeing a bunch of movies and I was just like, oh my God, this is this is what you can do with cinema and like yeah. the way that they built the tension of it just being in a single set and he like whips out the switchblade and bangs it on the table. <laughs> well, because that is almost a one shot. It's not one shot, but it, it's almost real time in, 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 at least, you know, and, that, and mm. it fits for that, for that uh, film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do like real time films. I think they're... Uh... I think they're a cut above, mm. to be honest. But I think, it, like going back to 1917, I think the storyline of that's compelling enough that you didn't need a gimmick. Uh, do you no. know what I mean? They could have that film could have had lots of real cuts, and you wouldn't have cared because it would have been so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. In a weird way. Uh, so yeah, so so Twelve Angry Men. Mm-hmm. That's a classic. I've seen it. It's very good. I enjoyed it. Sam recommended that on here. Um, what else? Uh, then, would you say you've got what's David you Fincher's for? The Social Network. Right, yeah. That's great. Big film, fans yeah. here. Yeah. Was that my favourite film of the day? I think it was. Yeah, that was your choice for, for the 2010s. Great choice. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard to argue with. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, actually the film we're doing today, I would argue, has some. Not, they're not similar, don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I think that there's a, mm. there's a way that David Fincher or Aaron Sorkin and Wes Anderson kind of do dialogue. Mm. That's sort of. It's real, but it's not real at the same time. I think that's definitely something that's appealing to those films mm. and it's about such an interesting subject matter as well yeah I like that film it's great choice number three else? Uh, Rafifi it is a French mm. heist film I don't know have either of you guys seen that movie no but yeah, um, Mark Kermode did a great uh, Secrets of Cinema and that and he did a whole episode on heist movies and that just was like the you know the the lifeblood of that entire episode I've, I've actually not seen it what makes it so good is Oh yeah, this I, I'm a I'm a big sucker for heist movies, and this is also kind of a noir as well, which is which is my genre of choice. And the sort of centerpiece of this is the actual heist, where it's about a thirty minute section of the movie, and there is no music, there is no dialogue. <laughs> wow. The only thing is, is they're they're trying to rob a jewelry store by going above it, so they're drilling the hole through the ceiling, their floor, the ceiling of the jewelry store, but because what it is is the the jewelry store has a sound alarm so that way if if glass is breaking or something like like that it'll trigger the alarm (laughs) so they have to be as quiet as possible and they're like using these little chisels to dig through the concrete floor and every time a, a little pebble drops and falls on the floor everyone goes silent and like your heart is just like beating through your chest and there's nothing going on and like it's the best is it a bit like mission impossible one where he's like having to be quiet a little bit but the, yeah, yeah that's definitely an influence on that movie but like way more heightened like my my heart was what pounding through my chest from? uh this was is a it, is it 1955 movie 
55 wow wow oh. mm-hmm. yeah i need to i need to That's follow that i need to incredible that find it. they had a like a sound alarm back in the 50s and i thought just by the way you were talking mm-hmm. about it, i just assumed it was from like the 90s or something mm-hmm. i'll have to watch it definitely anything else for anything number else four there? what else yeah what else do you like my number four would probably be something like scott pilgrim versus the world the edgar Wright oh movie. yes god i love that <laughs> film that is a film. It's a fun film. I am a, a Toronto native, and that movie is all about Toronto. The fact that it's <laughs> a character there, and Edgar Wright does such a great job highlighting my city. I just can't praise that movie enough. Have you seen the uh, the table read they did? Uh, like I, a, I've got it saved to watch it as soon as I've mm-hmm. got some free time. Same. Yeah. 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 What a film. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's one of the I've not, best. I've not seen it for a while. Actually. And so you say that those are your um, those are your like your certain four. Is there a fifth that just creeps in there? Yes, uh, I actually save this for last. I usually say it as my number one or number two, but it's oh, actually right, okay. today's movie. Oh wow! Okay, that's absolutely right. perfect. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. <laughs> what a segue! We'll get into that. He's a pro. He's a pro. He podcasts. He? Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and, it, and it was yeah, when we when we got in t- when I got in touch with you to discuss coming on the show. It was the I think it was the first one that you suggested, um, and it works out perfectly because she had never seen it. So let's mm. get into the life aquatic then. So um, I'll I'll uh, I'll yeah. give you the honors on this one, Dakota. We normally start with a very quick synopsis. I don't know if you can give us a quick you know, plot summary, 30-second summary of this uh, great film? Sure, yeah. So this is a Wes Anderson movie, and it stars Bill Murray and a whole bunch of usual Wes Anderson suspects. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but the general gist of it is in his last... He's a, he's a sort of uh, Jacques-Yves Cousteau-type character. He's very clearly based on him. In the last film that he had worked on, his father figure and partner died being eaten by a jaguar shark and he (laughs) decides that his mission is for his final film he is going to hunt down this jaguar shark and kill it and so he is working to get the funding he can because he's now kind of a hack and get this crew together that he has and go out there and find this jaguar shark and kill it that's a very concise and accurate uh, description, with all kinds of side plots of paternity and and uh, and calling dibs on Kate <laughs> <Cate> Blanchett. Um, <laughs> what is it then that you love so much about this film? You know, as, as such a film buff, and it's number one. What puts it in that category? This was probably the first Wes Anderson movie that I saw, if I'm recalling correctly. I saw it probably sometime in high school. I'm mm. 31 years old now, so. It, was when it came out back in the mid 2000s and for some reason just the sense of humor just resonated with me but it's not a full-on comedy there's just enough sort of pathos there where you can really empathize with the characters and sort of feel what they're going through but at the same time they're also all kind of jerks anyways so it kind of (laughs) adds to the comedy and I thought it was just so imaginative and creative in the way he used his camera to tell a story and I never seen anything like that and we'll probably talk about it quite a bit but like what you think of when you say a Wes Anderson film all those hallmarks are on display here you know the the long tracking shots the very perfect symmetrical images the bright colors all that sort of stuff Bill Murray <laughs> like you said that the entire cast I mean Jason Schwartz, Schwartzman's not in it but that's basically the only staple that that's not um, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's it is peak Wes Anderson. It's got all of that stuff. 
um, in some ways more resonance than, than some of his films. But yeah, the the, the ninety degree pans, the uh, having a having a set that is a cross section that you can see into, and it's kind of at times nodding at you and saying this is this is staged. Would I say, well, it, it must be then. It's, it's your favorite of the Wes Anderson films. Um, where would you? Where would you? What would maybe make your other uh, in the top three of Wes Anderson? You know, why, why is this a curtain above them, and, and what are they? It's it's very close. I I believe that Fantastic Mr. Fox might be his best film, but because I've got the personal collect, uh, connection with the Life Aquatic, I would put that above it just slightly so obviously Why, did your partner get killed by a jaguar <laughs> no i think it's just the you know i i watched it at a, a young age and every time i go back to it i've always adored it so much it just the humor just speaks to me just perfectly and i i've never sort of wavered of it being my favorite anderson so yeah so life aquatic being number one fantastic mr fox very very close number two and then moonrise kingdom would probably be number three good choice good choice and well we'll get into uh, i put a post out on social media asking uh, where does this sit you know and what people's top three are so we'll, we'll get into um, comparing that with the with the you know the general riffraff of the of the public uh towards the end i think what about this film do you like then son uh, I agree with everything there that Dakota said. I think Bill Murray is Bill Murray is such a big part of this film. Obviously, he's basically in every shot. But um, it was often commented, yeah. you know, he was the. There's nobody else in the world that could have done it like he did it, in the way that he's a complicated character. He's not a nice person, but he's not a he's not um, completely irredeemable. You know, he has lots of great qualities, but but yeah, he's kind of an egotist mm. and he's fragile and and, and all these things, but. Yeah, he's got that irony and he's got that complexity to him that it just feels like Bill Murray again, like in most of his performances, you know, it's he's just been that great ironic, sardonic wit. That I mean the soundtrack. The soundtrack. There's there's you know, some films let's say like J- Juno, for example, are those that you you don't even have to like the film but you listen to the soundtrack. And I listen to I think it's called I think it's pronounced Sal Sal George or Sal Jorge. Um his his David Bowie. Portuguese covers. I listen to that quite often. It's George, isn't it, in Portuguese? That's right. Yeah, the hard J. They pronounce the J, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of it's mixed with with other great songs as well. So I think the soundtrack is such a big part. Uh, I actually yeah. saw him perform so, the the music live a few years ago. Oh, really? Did, uh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did. He did a tour. Well, I think it was like cool. the tenth anniversary of the Life Aquatics release, and it was just after David Bowie had died. So wow. the night was kind of dedicated mm-hmm. to him as well. It was it was a beautiful performance. I imagine that quite emotional. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. that's incredible. He's, he's he's good, isn't he, in the whole film? Mm. He's singing away in his Portuguese Bowie, <laughs> which I quite yeah is different. Um, so what we usually do on this podcast, uh, Dakota, is um, I usually ask Sam why he think I might not like the film. You know, because obviously I've not seen the film before. There's got you know there must have been a reason for why I hadn't seen it all these years, um, especially with a film like this. What's like sixteen years old now? So. So what I'm going to do is ask you, why do you think I might not like this film or what would you criticise about the film if they had to criticise something? Yeah, sure. I, You know, 
it seems to be a bit of a polarizing film within the Wes Anderson community. It's either your like number one or number two favorite of his, or your least favorite. There, there's <laughs> very rarely any people in the Wes Anderson fandom that are like, oh, I'll take it or leave it. You, you usually <laughs> have very strong opinions on this, and I wouldn't expect anything less of someone watching this. I've shown it to people who love it, and I've shown it to people who are like, what the hell did I just watch? This is all nonsense. <laughs> But as far as like specifics, I think a tricky thing maybe on a first watch is the animation. The animation is actually done by Henry Selleck, who is most well known for directing Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. So it's got this weird sort of paper mache look to it. These Mm, mostly aquatic. Yeah, the, the mostly aquatic animals are pretty cheesy looking. They sparkle. They've got some very cartoony features to them. They don't look like real animals. And I know that's a hard barrier for some people to cross. And then there's also like the final diving sequence with the submarine looks very fake, obviously. And I'm fine with that. They're not trying to make it look like it's a gravity in space or something like that. (laughs) It is essentially done in almost like a humorous jokey way, which kind of fits with Anderson's whole vibe of let's not take this too seriously. Mm. But I know that's sort of uh, an immersion breaker for some people. And then I think the other thing is uh, Wes Anderson's movies are usually very funny and this, the humor is a little bit different than the other ones. It's a little bit more based on sight gags. It's a little bit more mm. based on reactions and not so much the super quickie, quippy dialogue. And if you're a fan mm. of, you know, line, 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 like something like the Royal Tenenbaums, this might not be for you. And so, Hugh, are you, I mean, you've, I think you said in our, in our conversation before that you've seen maybe a couple of Wes Anderson films, where do you, uh, not to ruin your re- review of this, where do you tend to stand? Did you, have you enjoyed the films of his that you liked so far? Uh, so I've seen the Grand Budapest Hotel and I've seen many years ago the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm. Um, yeah, I like both those films. I like um, the Grand Budapest Hotel quite a lot, actually. I thought it was very, very good. Um, I want to watch it again, actually, to compare it with, with this film because... Um, well, they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're the most similar. They're very different plot lines, but uh, yeah, it's just it's just interesting to compare them yeah. because they were made about ten years apart. Um, there is an issue, I but think. Yeah, what do you think I might I th- not like about it? It so? does depend because I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sold on Wes Anderson. I still am a bit. I'm still a bit kind of in two minds because because it is kind of twee or whimsical and, and quirky and, and I think when I was watching it this time I actually wasn't as engrossed as I had been it's been years since I've seen this film and it actually kind of alienated me having it as a sort of staged uh, thing you know, it, it makes it very obvious, very clear to you that this isn't reality um, and it kind of alienated me a bit as well and the, the pacing after the after the battle with the pirates there is still the overarching stories of um, you know, is he really Ned's father, and is he going to get the jaguar ship uh, shark? Not ship, um, but it kind of loses a bit of momentum after they're kind of saved from the pirates. That feels like a a showstopper, and then and then they sort of they've still got a bit they, more to they go. chat for a bit, and then you look, and it's forty five minutes left. Um, yeah, so it's possible, <laughs> and it and it really, it really, yeah, it really matters. It very, uh, like I say, some Wes Anderson films are the mood that I'm in. I love it. Sometimes I'm a bit like. This feels like it's just for fifteen-year-old, um, 
like drama school oh, art kids you know and I, I was I was never that I, I kind of I'm like sympathetic to that but I'm not really that so it's, it's hard to tell I, I don't know genuinely if you're going to like it or not but if you do like Tenenbaums and Grand Budapest then I think you'll probably like this well, we shall see after the break, shall, shall we? Let's find out. So after join us after the break, we're going to find out Hugh's views. Hello and welcome back. We are now ready for Hugh's views. So as we always do, we have no idea what Hugh's going to think of this film. Hugh, what did you like about The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou? Uh, so one of the things I really liked about this film, and I think we have to mention it from the top, is just Bill Murray's performance in this film. Yeah. Um, he's just like you said, he's in almost every. I think he, is he in every single scene. There was um, one. There was one shot where it cut in. to um, Willem Dafoe's Klaus and I think Ned talking, and I thought actually you're right. Th- that's David it's like, like oh this is scene, this he? is weird. Bill Murray's not there. <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. Yeah, there's the scene with Klaus, isn't there? Uh, the two, well, two scenes with him. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's just—you forget just how good he is. I think the prob- almost the problem with Bill Murray is that he just hasn't made enough good films. Like I can think of three good films that he's been in, really, maybe four. So Ghostbusters, which Groundhog Day, this, uh, and is it is, what is it? Stripes he was in mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. Harold Ramis. I mean, I is Caddyshack's really good? Yeah, Caddyshack. But Scrooge, really? That's pretty good. Yeah, I'm just saying. Zombieland but, was yeah, quite good. I, I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he's not only in it as a camera, <laughs> isn't he? He's, he's, Here's I the main that, feature. I, I think, honestly, honestly, he's been criminally underused, I think, in Hollywood over the last 20 years, I think. You know, when you watch a film like this with such... You know, I'm gonna. You know, great dialogue. It's. I mean, I think it is very funny. Like, there's some hilarious bits in this film. Um, you've just got. Again, it's one of those. I th- I can't, me and Sam were talking about. I can't remember which film it was for. Um, but another like great screenwriter director, and it, I think it might have been. Was it for? Oh, who was it for? Was it maybe William Golding? We were saying how Golding? they just. Golding. No, it was how we we were saying how like. Good writers add character to minor characters. Oh, the Coen Brothers. Minor, co- yeah. Like, and it's in this. There's like all the characters have got something about them, you know. Like um, Kate Blanchett's character. Yeah, she's got this posh British accent, and she's but she's trying to give up swearing before the baby's <laughs> born. <laughs> and she chews bubble gum, and like she always break like when she breaks the tension mm-hmm. with the bubble gum when she comes up to talk to Steve and uh, Owen Wilson's character, um, Ned. That bit's like. Then there's what there's, you know, Klaus is just. German. <laughs> That's his thing. Well, he's insecure, so everything um, is about his insecurities. Yeah. It's really funny seeing Willem yeah, Dafoe yeah, like a milksop, you know, like he's not the Green Goblin in every scene. It's great. Yeah, when he gets upset that he's not the, the main, he's not been picked. I've always thought of you as dads. <laughs> <It's like fathers. laughs> 
Yeah, um, and you've got like the what is it Anne Marie who's just got a tits out for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> like I just couldn't, I didn't quite get that. Every, every time like, she's on screen, oh, she got the first hour. Yeah. Well, this is it. I was like, oh, does she have them out all the time? Like I think that scene where you know when the pirates do come, I think it would have been hilarious if she just been out there <laughs> with the tits out the entire time. And she's like, Anne Marie, are you okay? And she's got she's tired <laughs> and she boobs out and she's just really annoyed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I think I think we just need to have a wider discussion about Bill Murray. Like, <laughs> what is he about? Who? It, just he's like a force of nature. He's, he's one of I those mean? actors like he's, Harrison Ford who you feel like you feel like if somebody said, "Oh, you're not allowed to act anymore," they'd be like, "Fine, like I don't care." <laughs> They're sort of above it. Yeah, if you came across him at like your local like supermarket, if he was like the checkout guy, you'd be like, "That checkout guy's a bit funny, <laughs> <laughs> miserable, but funny." Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's um, he's amazing in this, and yeah, I was I was almost angry because it was like, oh, he's just been in nothing. I mean, Dakota, he's what do you think about that? Bill Murray wasted by Hollywood. Years. Well, I think you know the '80s was his time to shine, and then he kind of needed Wes Anderson to resurrect his career. He's fantastic mm. in, in Rushmore, which was kind of his coming out yeah. party, and Wes Anderson's coming out party as well. And then sort of a smaller part in the Royal Tenenbaums, and then he's done a few others. But then his big comeback movie was also Lost in Translation. Yeah, yeah, I've not seen that actually. I'm that really was almost that's another fantastic one. Yeah, he was. He had to miss certain awards because he was filming this. They were so close together. I think O three mm-hmm. and O four. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was a real yeah comeback sort of film. Uh, to address your point, though, Dakota, what you were saying about like the visual style of the model work and all that, um, you know, that is Wes Anderson, isn't it? He's a he's an author, and his author is it's this strange hyper real dialogue which always works in his worlds, mm-hmm. and also you're going to have some form of model work. Like you look at the Grand Budapest Hotel, you know, and like <laughs> is it when they're going down the luge, mm. and then he goes off the ski jump, and then it's just that little model going, ah, <laughs> and falls into the snow, you know, and stuff like that. So with this, when you do finally, you know, plot twist or plot spoiler, you know, when you do see the Jaguar shark, it is this kind of, like you said, shiny sort of monster that's on screen, and they're in this like almost Beatles-esque yellow submarine floating around, crammed into a six-person sub. <laughs> like, Jeff Goldblum's there with, like, he's still, you know, T-shirt on still yeah. with his arm in a sling. You know, when you get, when you get shot up, it's very funny. It does add a level um, of beauty, that, that otherworldly, surreal aspect of, of the creatures in this, because they, they're literally not of this world. And I think that the Jaguar shark was the... I think I might have read this wrong, but it was something like the biggest ever stop-motion doll used... Um, and it took four wow. people to like, you know, crank the different bits, parts of it. It's uh, amazing. It's like eight feet long. Yeah. Um, I just, like you said, Wes Anderson's got a very distinctive style, hasn't he? He uses zooms in a very particular mm. way, you know, to add emphasis to what's what somebody's about to say, where, you know, when it zooms in and it goes, no, we won't hand it. Or he's like, should we hand him to the authorities? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, just, well, just why? Yeah. Mm. Um, great dialogue I think the dialogue in this film is amazing uh, I really enjoyed it's not even like you said it's just the way it's delivered I don't know if it's the delivery or the writing like just it's just funny um, yeah Willem Dafoe's great in this Jeff Goldblum just being Jeff Goldblum like the bit yeah. where like I uh, 
obviously I saw Thor Ragnarok before I saw this and I was just like oh so in Thor Ragnarok he was just doing Hennessy from the, <laughs> from the life aquatic but then you go well then when he's, he's on the couch it, on the on the deck of the boat but in this plush yellow couch in Jurassic Park he's just playing like he's just playing he's just Jack Goldblum the entire time he's on screen isn't he yeah uh, Owen Wilson wasn't annoying for once which is always <laughs> You know, always a plus. I, I don't know, he was in a lot of bad films. <laughs> so when you see him in a good film, you're like, oh, Owen Wilson is actually good. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, I thought it was a bit tragic when he dies at, near the end. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, if I'm being you honest. expect that when it seems like a funeral proce- you know, a funeral kind of vibe, you're like, okay, what's the pun? where's the punchline? You know, it's, it's not really him that's died, is it? Yeah, uh, what else did I like about it? Um... Yeah, I, I love that Wes Anderson aesthetic, you know. I, I mean, unlike Sam, I probably am sold on him, to be honest, because he does have a distinctive look, a distinctive sort of dialogue patter. You know you know a Wes Anderson film when you see it. And I'll be honest, I mean, I'm not somebody who seeks him out, necessarily. I've still not seen Moonrise Kingdom. I've not seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, but I... I'm glad I got recommended this because I, I don't know why I didn't watch it. Like yourself, Dakota. I think I'm being. I think Sam's the same age as you. I'm a year older than you. I I remember seeing the trailers for it and the ads for it back in. I think it was two thousand back in two thousand four. You know, I was sixteen. I probably could have watched it then and been quite happy to watch it. I don't know what it was that put me off. To be honest. Well, that's what well, our show is all about. Bomb really. when it came out. True. Sorry? Yeah, lost money. Mm-hmm. It was a bomb when Did it, it came out. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just unfortunate. It's funny because we do we've done two films in a row that was kind of centered around Dassey <laughs> this week uh, last week, and they both didn't do. Maybe it's I don't know. Maybe everything just gets churned up in the wake of Pirates of the Caribbean or something in, <laughs> in like two thousand three, two thousand four. I'm not sure. Um, what I didn't like about it very little. Um, wow. I've just put down in my notes. Maybe they could have developed Eleanor's character a bit more. I think she was a bit sidetracked perhaps mm. it was more definitely about Steve and Ned realistically I think they're the two characters that and yeah I think they're the two that kind of get really developed you get bits with Kate Blanchett's character where she's like on the phone to her editor and she's like I'm not coming back <laughs> you know you know I like I just they, she's just really weird in that film yeah that, I suppose like that, that is posh one, one um one issue that's that's always going to be a problem with ensemble casts, isn't it? That you that you're not going to get the development. We said it with Master and Commander last time. You only end up caring about three of the characters when when one of them dies. You're like, oh, I forgot he was a thing. <laughs> I forgot I was supposed to care about him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can. I see your point as well, Dakota. You were saying, sorry to interrupt, but you were saying about how. Oh, sorry, I think it was Sam. Apologies. Um, how Sam was saying that the, the when they rescued Jeff Goldblum from uh, the pirates, that kind of feels like the denouement. And then I literally did. I think somebody phoned me, and I was like, "Oh bloody hell, there's 20 minutes left of this film." Mm. <laughs> I was like, "What? What else have they got to do?" <laughs> um, so I was quite surprised. But sorry, you were going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say a bit of a defense of the the Eleanor character played by Angelica Houston. I think a lot of her development sort of comes through the words and actions of the two or two husbands, ex-husbands, which are played by Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum, and you sort of understand where she is. She's, you know, being... We're told that she's just a rich bitch because her parents own everything and have finance, basically, <laughs> everything by of, of Zisu's... Yeah, Zisu's career. But we understand... Mm-hmm. 
you know, these two men who are so career oriented, how they can get wrapped up in both them, their selves, their own personas, but also their work as well. And that could uh, make it seem like they're just using her for her money. And then later towards the end, when sort of Steve is coming to terms with everything in his life, he says to the reporter, he says, you know what? She always has been the brains of the operation because that was a quote that was levied against him. And he resisted that because it was like, I'm the great Steve Zissou. I've been the brains <laughs> behind the operation. She's just the money. And I, and it sort of mm-hmm. is a nice sort of turning point. And we, we get to see all the sort of shit that she's had to put up with throughout the years through both of these men who she's clearly sleeping with Jeff Goldblum again, even though <laughs> Steve Zissou is like so <laughs> He's oblivious part gay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she's also sleeping with whoever her, what did she say, her yoga instructor is or something like that? Yeah. Is he the, the guy with the, the jeans and clearly no pants? Yeah. yeah, which also Angelica Houston still got it. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> she's she still more Tisha will. to you, Dakota. <laughs> yes. I mean, but then it's, there's, a, there's a bit, isn't there, right at the beginning where that woman comes up to uh, Steve and he goes to kiss her or something and she's like, I came to talk to you and not touch you or something. And it, I, I, I think mistress, there's a suggestion like, that yeah, maybe... Yeah, so I think there's a suggestion that he's sleeping with her. And then I, I thought she'd be in it again and she's just not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we were again, we were saying about the Coen brothers um, how you think with this you might find out if... Um, if Ned was his son, but you just don't. It's just left mm. up in the air. You just. I mean, which I want to ask you: What did you guys think? Do you think he is a son? Because at one point, Eleanor says, "You know, he shoots blanks because of all the time he spends underwater." Or something. <laughs> well, that's also quite interesting uh, to to build on her character development. I, I saw the film twice today, and it really hit home how poignant it is when Owen Wilson's character dies, when Ned dies, and he's obviously buried at sea, and she's she's submerged looking through the what's called a pothole or something you know looking through the little window and uh, the the coffin goes down and you kind of like is this somebody who wanted children and that was a source of you know a lot of the conflict between her and Steve because he was firing blanks and she's just she was resisting adopting this son basically she gave it she caved came back basically adopted him and then he dies so that was a very heartbreaking thing and it um I think I, you know, I believe that her when she said he's firing blanks, and I think ultimately probably he's not Steve's son. I think. See, for me, I don't think it mattered in the end. Yeah. Uh, whether he was or he wasn't, I think the inference throughout the film, the majority of the film, is that it is his son. Like, because she, there's that, there's um. I think is it with with Ned where he says, "Oh, you know, when did you know?" And he was like, "Oh, his, your mum told me when you were born, mm. or something like yeah. that, or when he was young." So I, so part of me thinks that it is his son, and that maybe he was, like you said, he was infertile after her, after he'd had him, perhaps maybe. Yeah, and that you know you could you could swing it, but you could swing it both ways. Like I, I mean, initially when I was watching the film, I'm like, oh. I was like, this guy's definitely not his son. Do you know what I mean? It's it's so obvious that it's going to be part of the plot line that he's just going to be somebody who was enamoured with Steve when he was a kid, and mm. you know he built his whole life wanting to be like him, and got this opportunity and the money and all this. And but yeah, I'm glad that they didn't they left it ambiguous because again, I think it was more you could say it was about that character's development. You know, Steve. You know, he says, "Oh, I didn't want kids, and I didn't. You know, I didn't want to be a father, and I didn't want to be yeah. a father to somebody, and all that." Um, so I think that's interesting that they develop his 
you know, he he has that bit where he's like, "Oh, you can call is it, you can call me Papa Steve." I think he says, <laughs> which is Z's. as close as he can, yeah. can get to saying, "You can call me Dad." Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. which I you think can call me Steve. Z, if he had survived, <laughs> which you think if he had survived, that he would have eventually, um, you know, eventually caved. If that mm, makes sense, yeah. and actually I let him call him Dad, but. Yeah. What What do you think the curtain? Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? What do you think the curtain? You know, I I agree with Hugh. Where I don't think it really matters. I I do probably think it is his son, uh, but it's more about the plot development, the character development for Steve. You know, at the beginning, he talks about I didn't like my father, and so I never wanted to be one. He says mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yeah. And you very clearly see that this is a man because he has father issues. It has affected his entire life. He treats both Esteban, who is his partner, who dies at the very beginning before the movie starts, who is a father figure, and then also the other explorer figure who we don't meet. I can't remember what his name is, but he basically sounded like he was an oh, yeah. early mentor um, when Steve was a, a child. Yeah. So yeah. clearly. He he was always looking to sort of fill this void of father figures for something that he didn't have himself, and then just went around and turned around. And was like, well, since I didn't have a father, no one deserves to be my child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, "I, I yeah, I hate fathers. That's why I don't want to be one." Mm-hmm. I think one thing that is interesting about like these Wes Anderson films is this especially it doesn't feel like it's set in 2004 it feels like it's set in like the 70s or something if that makes sense it's hard to place they just have this kind of yeah they just have this kind of out of time feel and you almost something i do like about it is you is like i said it's kind of hyper real dialogue but at the same time you kind of wish you know you wish you could join this adventure you know you kind of wish you could get yourself a red hat and a blue jump blue pajamas or whatever <laughs> you know and uh, and some adidas with zizu on the side and a speedo they don't forget the speedo mm-hmm. oh yeah the speedo you know you'd you, you know it kind of makes me go oh i want to go join a crew yeah <laughs> see if like see if it's like this but like you say yeah. he, a lot of his Shall films we... they are kind of out of time because they a lot of the characters as well especially like in say rushmore they're obsessed with antiquities and old stuff you know, it kind of becomes part of their, who they are, I suppose. Um, what we always do then is we uh, we get into some favourite scenes and lines. Dakota, what's your standout scene from this film? This, this was a tricky one. Uh, I, I Because I love this movie so much, I kept being like, ooh, this is my favourite scene, this is my favourite scene. I would probably have to narrow it down to either the pirate hijacking mm-hmm. or the actual rescue sequence, where both of them sort of shift tones completely and become this action movie but it's done in a very serious sincere way where all the characters are fully committed to being in this complete change of scenery where normally it's a sort of heightened weirdness of exploring nature and all of a sudden they're thrust into this the worst gunfights ever where literally no (laughs) one can hit anyone which is kind of funny but they all take it with such seriousness that you can't help but be enthralled with it. I think if I had to choose between the two, the rescue sequence seems like that was Wes Anderson being like, I love action chase movies. This is my one chance to do an action chase scene and I'm going to do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it was a 50 million budget, you know, which is more than he'd ever had. And he thought, I'll throw some explosions in there. And yeah, quite a lot of Stormtrooper <laughs> level of accuracy shooting. And I, I agree. I think the for me, <laughs> I probably preferred the original pirate um, heist um, what was really interesting is I watched a fascinating YouTube video that I'll, I'll link in the description on, on social media and a theory that they had was that this film 
is the story being told by Steve Zizou. Um, you know, like a fisherman tale where every fish they caught was bigger than you can imagine. And it made it kind of made sense that all the creatures were so otherworldly and so odd, and how, you know, when his ship's been taken over, he can just go, right, I've got this gun, and I'm going to get rid of everyone, and, you know, they scatter. He never gets shot, he barely ever shoots, he shoots one person, and he shoots, like, you know, 50 rounds from this little pistol. Basically, that it's a, you know, it's just a tall tale that he's telling, and he's exaggerating, exaggerating it. I must admit, that, that scene, I actually thought that, because the colour palette changes, I think they use a different filter. And I actually thought it was all in his head right, at that point. Yeah. I thought, oh, he's imagining this. And then it's going to cut back and he's just going to be there yeah. on the... Because um, he kicks you know, ass. On, on back on, <laughs> tied up. And, yeah, he does, doesn't he? He takes down a guy with a gun and, and, you know, and, and yeah, they're all, they all go packing as a result. Yeah, um, it's an interesting... How about you, Hugh? I also like in the, the escape scene at the, the the second half of it, where it's also very clearly staged, where they'll have the camera guy uh, standing in front of them, and then you'll see them running through the hotel rooms, and then you'll see the camera guy at the end. It's like, <laughs> oh, they stopped what they were doing and set the camera guy up to do this. <laughs> uh, I think my favorite scene is I quite like the scene it's like the montage scene where they go through all the different rooms on the on the uh, boat. That was my number like, three. This was that, yeah. Where he's like, "Oh, uh, this is a we've got a we've got a massage a sauna room uh, that was built by Chinese uh, s- like space scientists. We keep a Swedish masseuse on hand at all times." <laughs> um, and you know, he's like talking about that little extension pod out the at the uh, bow of the boat and he's like oh I thought of that up in a dream <laughs> you know this is the kitchen it's got the most uh, <laughs> the most technically uh, or the most technical equipment items on the ship, on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the most advanced equipment on the ship yeah after they've been through the science lab yeah I quite liked that I, I think that yeah it, there's like you said there's that great tracking shot through the boat isn't there where he goes through the different where he goes through the sauna through the lab through the kitchen then up the stairs um, and it's like I was thinking, oh, so did they have like a boat for the exterior and then they just had this set or did they have like two sets? Yeah, they had, I think it was like a hundred feet long um, set. But yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe there was, maybe there were two, but I think it was just one. But obviously like on a sitcom, Mm. you don't, you don't, you never see that fourth wall. Yeah. No, no. And then this, it kind of clearly very much wants to break it, doesn't it? And yeah, like you guys, I quite like the pirate um, attack scene I think that's very good um, yeah just he goes all action man and I think there's I think there is a part of that his character isn't there that he is this kind of man of action mm. almost you know he's never you know me and Sam always we talk about a lot in the podcast Dakota that um, we don't like passive characters who's unless their passivity is an action within itself we don't like characters to sort of oh now I'm doing this oh well I'm a bit of a Mary Sue so I can fight my way out Mm -hmm. of it and everything's fine Um, we always like them to be very active and I think you know Steve's very active even if he's not very good (laughs) he's quite incompetent I think and there are there are thousands of these complicated macho anti-heroes um, that really became huge in TV around this time, you know, kind of leading to things like Walter White on Breaking Bad and, and Tony Soprano and all, all that sort of thing. Because mm. you, you do, it's like, you know, Master and Commander, again, complicated, macho figure with probably with daddy issues and stuff. But you do want to be led by them <laughs> because they, they take the bull by the horns. 
That's me taking the bull by the horns. <laughs> <laughs> favorite um, lines, then. So, Let's find out our favorite lines. Yeah. There's a, I mean, because there is a lot, as we've said several times. You know, the di- dialogue is is a major feature of this film. Um, but Dakota, if you had it's to, like you said, if you had to narrow it down to one, intrinsically funny, but it's the setup, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's the it's the situation they're always, or in. it's indicative of a character uh, of their character. Yeah. So yeah, Dakota, if you so, want to yeah, kick Dakota. us off with your favorite line. That's it's so tough. Like I was just writing lines the whole way through because this is such a quotable movie for me. Mm. So I can rattle off a couple, but like kind of going in order at the very first movie premiere he's at, someone asks a question when he explains his motive and goes, what would be the scientific purpose of killing it? (laughs) And there's like a super long pause. And then he just goes, revenge. (laughs) I think that was my favorite as well, actually. Yeah, that is a great, because it's so indicative of that character. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when he first meets uh, Ned and they finally are getting along and he goes, have you thought of changing your name? And Owen Wilson replies, Ned? Not (laughs) obviously his last name. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's like that line, isn't it? Um, When he first introduced, when he's first talking to Ned and they both have that awkward silence of like, oh, you think you're you're my son, aren't you? And he thinks like, yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like you know like the subtext of the entire conversation because he knows his mother and you're just waiting for him to say it but he doesn't say it so Steve is the one who has to say it yeah I really love um, the the uh, like the first conflict between Ned and Klaus and then I can't remember exactly, exactly what Ned says but he basically says like you know I'll see you around and then Klaus says not if I don't see you first Sonny and he's kind of like that's his parting <laughs> shot but he doesn't realise it, it was shit and he kind of mucked it up which I, it's a great great line that. I like the fight later on when he hits him back and when he slaps him back yeah. and he's like now we're even he's like no we're not even <laughs> you gave me a warning <laughs> you stood up for you yourself got, you got your shot in yeah you stood up for yourself <laughs> Um, I think my favourite line, which strangely, because what I tend to do is I'll go through IMDb and look at the quote section, mm-hmm. and it actually wasn't in there. I just like the bit when um, they he's after he finds out his cat's died, and Owen Wilson's character <laughs> just goes, "Oh, what kind of cat was it?" And he goes, "Who gives a shit?" I think it, and then he just pauses and goes, "I think it was a tiger." <laughs> <laughs> like he's annoyed and upset. Yeah. He's like, "It's dead. Who cares?" Well, how did it die? Was I, it um, a python or something? Bit it. It was a snake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> he does have a great line it's like where it's like do you have to do you have to deliver it like that and it's like she's a rich bitch yeah. she was raised by me uh, probably a longer line that I liked is at the end of the rescue scene and they're getting in the getaway boat there's two boats there and uh, Steve says to one of the guys, take the keys from the fishing boat and throw them in the water. No, wait, they probably have a spare. Just blow it up. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those, it almost felt ad-libbed, and obviously it wasn't, but that that was just like, that's a great line. Similarly, when they just rescue him and uh, and he sees the coffee machine, um, he's like, how do you have my coffee? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Fucking stole it. <laughs> yeah. From the blind yeah. stew, she's finally showing some uh, some growth there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he, um, yeah, uh, good, what's his name again? I keep, I keep, I keep forgetting the Bud the Court from Harold right. and Maude. That's right. He he lost fifty pounds because he wanted after he was captured. He thought, well, I should have lost weight by the time they get me. And I didn't notice he'd lost a lot of weight, but he lost fifty pounds of weight. That's crazy. <laughs> Between being captured that and like? rescued, that's four stones. That's like. 
Is he? Yeah. Jesus. But <laughs> Jeff Goldblum still had time to do his push-ups. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't losing any weight. I really like another line. I really like is when when Ned goes to try and fight. He's try and fight Steve. He says, "I'm going to fight you, Steve." <laughs> and he just just sucker punches him. You never say, "I'm going to oh, fight yeah. you, Steve." You just smile and act natural, and then you sucker punch him, uh, which is great because that's and then so, he does that right so, afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> chip yeah. off the old block. You know, yeah. he's learning. And then he's like, "Oh, you got me with your uh, Zizu ring." <laughs> yeah, I think your team Zizu ring might caught me on the lip. Yeah, he's there like feeling his lip and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, so that's um, so that's favorite lines, favorite scenes. Sam. Absolutely. So we move what on? we're gonna do is we're gonna have a little break, and when we come back, we're gonna have uh, find out what the critics thought. We're gonna get some ratings, and then have a little quiz on Life Aquatic. Join us after the break. Hello and welcome back. We are now ready to get some ratings. As is often the case, we're going to start with critics and then we'll get to um, Hugh and Dakota. So, uh, Hugh, if you had to guess, maybe you've already seen it on IMDb, what percentage would you say Metacritic gave this film? Or, you know, what percentage is the aggregate score? Yeah. 75%? It's a lot more divided. 62%. Yeah. What? This is it. And it's, it's I really, I really That's enjoyed it. it. I'm, I'm so annoyed that I hadn't seen it sooner. To be honest with you, because it was just, it was just funny. It's so Wes Anderson. Um, it's just a great. And film, it is so it? much better than that, isn't it? So peak, peak Bill Murray. Yeah, as well, yeah, exactly. It's his, it's his one of his best performances of all time. We're gonna, we're gonna look at um, who we always include if it's a film before 2013. Roger Ebert. Out of four, Hugh, how many stars would you say Roger Ebert would give this? Um, oh, I don't know. I think I'd like to think the big, big Rog gave it four. To be honest, I think it. No, I'm, it I, I don't know. Probably what... was more bullish. I'd say probably two. Yeah, it's two point oh, five. Two point five. So Dakota's closer. Yeah. So what didn't he say? Didn't he give Master? And he Commander gave four, four out of four. Stars, so here, here's his a uh, couple of set, a couple of paragraphs that kind of that show why he gave that. He says, "My rational mind informs me that this movie doesn't work. Yet I hear a subversive whisper. Since it does so many other things, does it have to work too? Can't it just exist?" Um, Terminal whimsy, I called it on the TV show. Yes, but isn't that better than half-hearted whimsy or no whimsy at all? Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic is the damnedest film. I can't recommend it, but I would not for one second discourage you from seeing it. He later goes on to say, he's sort of talking about some of the characters, Steve Zizou seems melancholy, as if simultaneously depressed that life is passing him by and that it's taking so long to do it. Angelica Houston seems privately amused, which is so much more intriguing than seeming publicly amused. Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett proves she can do anything, even things she should not do. I forgot to mention that Steve's friend is played by Seymour C- uh, Cass- Cassell, who I think I remember told me one night in um, Dan Tainer's that he'd always wanted to be eaten by a shark in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I agree with him. I think I, I mean, agree with him. You know, it, it... I agree with him. But I think that's proof of you know when a film critic sees a film just one time and then they've got to come up with an immediate reaction. I think he might have changed his mind if he watched it a few years later, but maybe he's just not into that. As you know, these films they meander a little bit. I was maybe if, if I was to give it a criticism, like a that I really genuinely feel is these films they because they're indie sort of character pieces. It's almost immaterial what happens to them. Mm. It's more about how they react and what they choose to do. So you could say 
like I was surprised there was 20 minutes left so maybe I, I, yeah. I don't what know. do you think Dakota yeah clearly clearly this movie is, is more concerned with Steve's uh, father abandonment issues and how he you know perceives that and, and passes that on to other people whether it's on to Ned or it's on to Klaus or other people that's more what the heart of the movie is about than actually hunting down this Jaguar <clears throat> shark because that's just a plot device that doesn't really matter in the end. And I think if you had removed Roger Ebert's star review, star rating, and just read the review, I think someone that loves the movie, like I do, that sees Terminal Whimsy, I go, <laughs> yes, this is what this movie is, and that's what I like yes. about it. But then you pass it on to someone who couldn't stand this movie, they'll read that same review and be like, yeah, Steve Murray was kind of mugging for the camera, it was funny at the times, but it wasn't all that yeah, good. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You can, you can sort yeah. of see what you like in that review, can't you? And it is... And it is very balanced. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, that's why yeah. he, he always makes it onto our show because he, he sort of always gets it right even when you don't agree with him, if that makes sense. Or mm-hmm. he's yeah. never just wrong. Or he almost never is just wrong. Mm-hmm. I got another um, another review from the New York Times, slightly more positive, but still quite balanced, um, from A.O. Scott. At the time of the Royal Tenenbaums, A.O. <laughs> at the time of the Royal Tenenbaums, some of us who had admired Mr. Anderson's first two films, Bottle Rocket and Rushmore, complained that his delicate combination of whimsy and emotional purity was sliding into preciousness. The Life Aquatic, based on a script by Anderson and Noah Baumbach, goes even further, conjuring an imaginary world that encompasses wild ocean-faring technologies and fanciful species of computer-animated fish. Rather than tacking towards... Rather than tacking toward the shore of realism, Mr. Anderson blithely heads for the open sea of self-indulgent make-believe. As someone who is more annoyed than charmed by Tenenbaums, I should have been completely exasperated with the Life Aquatic, with its wispy story and wonder cabinet production design, but to my surprise I found it mostly delightful. So very similar there to to Ebert in his kind of saying, I shouldn't have liked it, but I did. Um, He ended up giving it a higher rating, but still a similar kind of complaint I mean it's a much better film than the Royal Tannenbaums like I I do remember watching that but I, I don't think I'd ever go back to that film I've no interest in watching mm. it again where this I'd quite this is like this is almost like one of these like date night movies like I would show like I would get I'd be like oh I've got a great film for us to watch let's watch the let's watch The Life Aquatic it's a bit weird but you'll mm. really like it and I think yeah I think you could you could sell it you know that kind of way <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely get people to mm. like it so yeah, so yeah. That, I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised balanced. at Rog, but there you go. That's, That's his life. life. I don't entirely agree. Let's see uh, how balanced your but, reviews um, are then. So, uh, I'll start with our guest Dakota. How many fluorescent snappers would you give this film out of ten? Oh, I'm so biased. <laughs> uh, if if I was to put aside my biases, I would still probably give it like a. Nine out of ten, <laughs> eight and a half out of ten. Uh, if I was to th- include my biases, I would say ten out of yeah, ten. Yeah, it's, it's subjectivity, isn't it? It's hmm. you know, We're, you can be you can be as biased <laughs> yeah. as you like here. We've we've no. This is about the films you love, isn't it? And uh, that's why we get you on to give you to get you to wax. Absolutely, Hugh. How many fluorescent snappers um, out of ten? This is the uh, big big moment. Uh, yeah, I think a nine. Yeah, it's a, it's wow. a really good film. <laughs> I really enjoyed Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah, I was I wasn't. Exp- I, I like I said I liked the Grand Budapest Hotel, and um, I'm I'm very much I've come to realise that I really do enjoy good auto cinema makers who create characters 
with rich you know a rich texture to them like yeah and like we were talking me and Sam we were talking we watched a Coen brother we watched The Big Lebowski recently as well which was another like 9 yeah, or 10 out of 10 for me because it just imbues everybody with character Do you know like you said you have a, a David Bowie obsessed <laughs> um, Portuguese guitar player <laughs> like what's his job he's always the safety guy isn't he <laughs> yeah. but you don't think of him as the safety mm. guy you think of him as the uh as the thingy above, as the uh, the the guitar yeah. player called player Pele Pele de Santos, which like, is it could not be a more barefaced. Yeah, yeah I kept, <laughs> when they kept saying Pele, Pele yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I kept going. Do they call yeah, him Pele? Or Pele, as they call him? Do you like do you, do you like soccer ball, Dakota? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a little. I'm. I used to be a bigger fan when I was I was younger. I was a a Juventus fan of the Italian league. Uh, I used to watch the World Cup, but but now hockey is my thing. I'm wearing a, a Toronto Maple Leafs oh, right now. I know your viewers won't be able to see it. I mean, me and Sa, I literally could, I can only, can you name any hockey players? Wayne Gretzky, Sam? he's still playing, isn't he, yeah? at 46? <laughs> yeah, that's a Sure, yeah. yeah. How old's Wayne Gretzky now? Is well, he, he retired in 1999, <laughs> so uh, old. He's probably older than 46. That's the only hockey player I could name. Yeah, no, this is I could not name. This is why one. you know we we tend to not get overseas people on the. They don't like football, and it's just you know where where can we can possibly compatible? It's awkward, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> who's your so who's your team? Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Right, so the Maple Leaf. So sense. I'm in Toronto. They're the home team. The hockey playoffs are just starting up right oh, now, wow. and uh, our team I mean, has has high hopes for the Stanley Cup, which is the best trophy. In I'm sports. assuming we've heard <laughs> yeah. of that. I'm assuming they're not going to go. It's got a really big. It's base, not very hasn't social it? distance That's all I know about sport. It. I think they're probably going to get in and amongst it. I've watched. Yeah, what's they're the they're doing hub hockey, cities. Um, <laughs> right. That's right. Good. They're doing they're doing something similar in the football actually for yeah, the uh, European yeah. competitions. But what do they say about hockey? I went to go watch a fight in a hockey yeah. match workout. <laughs> it's like, it's Canadian rugby, essentially, I think is what hockey is. It's, it's, got, it's got a bit more grace. <laughs> yeah, it's the most mm-hmm. manly thing. I'm going to go out there on the ice and I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> I'm going to be pirouette. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be like lightning, like grease lightning I am. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, the, the Leafs hired a figure skating coach to... Uh, coach the team and they've suddenly all become much better skaters <laughs> and uh, made them better. Who would have thought there'd be a correlation between What's... being good at skating and being good at ice hockey? I mean, yeah, that is genius. Oh, no. <laughs> who is, I mean, not to turn this into a hockey podcast, but like, who is the best? Like, who's like the most successful hockey team? Because it's the one thing Canadians, you guys are genuinely proud of is how good at hockey you are. Like right now, who's the best team? Yeah. Or There's... In history. Oh, and, oh man, and, and if you're going in, in the entire history of the sport, the Montreal Canadiens have the most championships with uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Little pricks, those French, yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's an interesting, interesting uh, choice of name, the Montreal Canadiens. That feels like they're sort of, you know, they're sort of... Doesn't sound very... Yeah, they're shotgunning the word Canadians, Canadians like Canadians, Toronto can't be the Canadiens as well. <laughs> they're they're an older franchise and they very... spell it in French, so it's actually the Canadian. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Oh, to them. <laughs> yes. So they have twenty four rings, and they never let anyone forget that. <laughs> We've got a team in football, Real Madrid. Mm. They're like that. They don't mm-hmm. let you forget how many Champions Leagues yeah, they've won. Jesus, their country mile above everyone mm. else, aren't they? Um, 
Are Toronto a good team then in the, uh, in the hockey ball? Well, <laughs> they last won <laughs> hockey puck. They last won the championship in 1967. Oh yeah, so they're, they're, they're due. Everyone <laughs> when Wayne Gretzky <laughs> was a snapper <laughs> when he was 25. <laughs> were the Leafs are sort of the uh, the New York Yankees or the Real Madrid of hockey, where they've got the most money, the most prestige, and that means everyone hates them. Uh, where, where money they had a terrible so owner, like. <laughs> they they had the worst owner like literally in the world his name was Harold Ballard he would do anything to make a buck anytime the players were getting good he would sell them to another team because he knew that the arenas would still be oh, sold out so it completely screwed over the franchise for about 40 years <laughs> and then we were mediocre for a while Christ. and then we've been rebuilding for the last couple of years and now we've got one, our star player is probably a top 5 player in the league and, uh, and things are looking pretty good. What's that player called? Just so that I can cite yes. a hockey player now. His name yeah. is Austin Matthews, and he's from Arizona, and he's half American, half Mexican. Wow, Austin Matthews. How do you get good at hockey if you're half <laughs> That's the wrong side, Mexican. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it? He's like, he was, when the first time he saw an ice rink, he was like, what is this shit? <laughs> Just, in Arizona, like you don't get frost. <laughs> He is the direct product of uh, what was called the Sunbelt expansion. In the 90s, they decided to expand in the southern U.S. in places like uh, Phoenix and Florida. And Phoenix got a team, and he was a child when they got it and grew up loving mm. them and became a hockey player and is a direct Honestly, product. Yeah, grassroots investment. I think we've got. I think we've got an idea for podcasting. <laughs> Two Brits get educated in hockey by a there's Canadian. There's quite a successful. We'll there's a successful the YouTube channel. An NFL fan watches, you know, soccer, football uh, clips. Yeah, maybe that's that's our niche. There was a yeah. Play playoffs can... start this weekend. If you want to watch a game with me, I will send you some that's links fantastic. and we'll watch it because it would be hilarious <laughs> to get their reactions. <laughs> we could do like a podcast on it. I've watched a bit of hockey in the past years ago. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I watched, was uh, uh, still playing. It was no, it was the two thousand and eight. <laughs> it used to be Cup on at about two a.m. on like uh, Channel Five. Yeah, when I was at uni, I was watching some of it there. That's yeah. that's that's what happened. I was staying up <laughs> all night, and the basket. I think the basketball had finished, or it was in between the basketball. Um, the only thing I find hard with it is it's very hard to follow. Yeah, the puck. do you get do you get used to it after a while? It's like, funny. It comes my close uh, to the camera. You struggle. My my brother lives in a, in a big house with a bunch of roommates, and a guy just moved in from Ecuador, and so we just watched the first game with him a couple nights ago. And he's like, "I can't keep track of the puck." I find it so hard. Yeah, it's it should really be fluorescent hard. or something. Yeah. Oh, really <laughs> oh god, oh, is that a can of worms? <laughs> No, the, in the 90s, Fox News in the US, when they had the rights to air hockey games, experimented with a glowing puck that on the screens would glow oh, and leave a little trail. That, yeah. You, If you look up glowing puck, you'll see Don't that. Don't misspell that when, you, when you're world. Googling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you might get some UV fun. Um, Should we? Uh, yeah, I want to see that. I suppose back in the nineties, though, it made sense, didn't it? Because like two mm, TVs were good, pixels. but they weren't like HD four K. Well, that's why they made they, table tennis. Balls no, it was bigger. all blurry anyway. Yeah, they they made ping pong balls bigger, so it would go yeah. slower, and you could see it when they, when you're watching it on TV. 
like tennis balls would turn yeah. yellow, weren't they? So you could see them better on TV. Absolutely. Well, I could. I wish I could come up with a. Mm. Shall we yeah, bring back in? Then? An elegant yeah. segue. Just imagine I said an elegant segue there back uh, into uh, quiz. I mean, yeah. I mean, they could have played ice hockey when they were out on the Absolutely. Arctic. Or Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and they rescue that bit's great, isn't it? When they rescue the the what is it? It's what, like the, rescue, um, when they rescue Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> yeah, what's that creature they rescue? They're like discovering oh, yeah. a new creature and it's got a broken yeah, ankle. Yeah, so good, you did it, you nailed it. <laughs> it was some part of like Arctic otter or That's something right. like that, Arctic <laughs> mongoose, I can't remember. I wish I'd made it one of my quiz I questions. Can't what he calls it, um, yeah. Speaking of quiz questions, uh, yeah. right, so the way it works is um, I'm going to ask Hugh first, and then because obviously you're the expert, Dakota, if Hugh gets it wrong, I'll rely on you to get it right. So, first question, Hugh, what is the name of the ship? Is it the Bella Belafonte? Do you know what that's a reference to? No, I've not a clue. Bella means woman, doesn't it, in <laughs> Italian? Fonte? No. I don't even know what that means. No, never mind. No. <laughs> You're going down the wrong road there. Dakota, do you know have the I, reference? Have I missed this entirely? <laughs> I do. Just because this movie is based on uh, Jacques Cousteau, his ship was called the Calypso, mm-hmm. and Harry Belafonte was a Calypso yeah. singer. He does the, um, oh, what's the ah, song? Right, Jump okay. in the line, rock your body in time. Shock. Okay, I believe you. That's Harry Belafonte. You know the Beetlejuice no. song? That's it, the Beetlejuice song. The one at the end of the Beetlejuice. Anyway. Um, <laughs> question two. Ha- <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, I'm there you go. Hugh, either. how much money did Ned <laughs> inherit? Uh, $275,000. Dakota, is that true? I believe so. Spot on. Um, How far along (laughs) in her pregnancy is uh, Blanchett's character when she says, when she specifies how far ahead she is? Uh, She's five months pregnant. Yes, I am pregnant. Are you pregnant? (laughs) Yes, I am pregnant. Why are you all wearing (laughs) pyjamas? That is correct, five months. Uh, What's the name of uh, Jeff Goldblum's company? Well, you know, the character... Um, well, he's called Hennessy, isn't he? What's his first name? It's Hennessy Expeditions. You're on the right lines, Dakota. Do you oh. know? Is it Hennessy Operations? That's the word. Or is it Operation Hennessy? Oh, is, it? is it Operation, Operation Hennessy is what I've got here. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. Right. What's his first name? I forgot. What's forgot. I just sim- simply okay, forgot. Right. Alistair. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> Alistair, that's Can it. Yeah, Alistair, Alistair, Alistair just that's thought. right. Yeah. yeah, Alistair, yeah, but it's not really mentioned, is and it? And finally, um, what is the name... Of, so, obviously, the, the film starts with them showing a film, uh, a premiere. What is the name of that film? There's two possible answers for this. Oh, crikey. Uh, the name of that film... It looks like you're looking down at your notes me. here, can't I, I'm not, no, <laughs> I, I didn't write that down. <laughs> um, I've no idea, Sam, you'll have to pass Dakota, on that. do you know what it is? It, see if Dakota can remember. Something it. part one. <laughs> so yeah, so there's two <laughs> yes. instructions. So it is there's the name of the film, and then it's part one, and that's got mm. a name. Anyone want to have a guess? Can't remember. I, I can't remember. Doesn't jump In to mind. peak postmodernism, the film is called The Life Aquatic, and it's part one, the Jaguar fish uh, or the Jaguar the shark. Uh, sorry, Jaguar uh, shark. Uh, there, there we go. go. It is indeed. You're yeah, right. it is. Yeah. Trying to overthink that. that. You're very self-referential. I'll have to... I'm sure Peter Griffin was in the cinema going, oh, the name of yes, the film. Yes, I'm sure he would have done the Simpsons <laughs> or something. Um, right, Hugh, that really concludes yeah. The Life Aquatic. My big question for you is, what are we going to do next week? 
Well, I would recommend this film. By the oh, way, yeah. See, this is the thing, Dakota. Uh, like, our whole show is predicated on the fact that we're going to yeah. watch a film that we should have watched and then find out if that person would recommend it. And about 80% of the time, we forget to ask that big final question. Hugh, would you recommend this film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would recommend this film to people who like this kind of cinema, if that makes sense. So you would recommend this film you know, to people who would people like this who... film? Okay, that's... Um... Revelation. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, I'm going well, to take a recommendation. Well, until I recommended it, until I recommended it, they wouldn't know that they liked it. So, uh, yeah. There's that definitely a chicken and egg sense. situation going on there. So, you would recommend it to many people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if your favourite film is Fast and the Furious 7, then I'm not going to recommend this film to you because I don't think you'll quite appreciate it. But if your favourite film is. I don't know, like you said, like The Big Lebowski or something, then yeah, this is up your, up your street, Fair, isn't it? reasonable. Yeah. Aqua. On, on, a similar, on a similar question, Dakota, <laughs> do you often find yourself recommending this film to people, or do you tend not to make friends with people unless they already like this film? Uh, probably more of the latter. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way of uh, getting It's right. a bit of a litmus yeah, test. absolutely, yeah, on a first date. Yeah. What's your favourite film? <laughs> what do you think of the life aquatic? Oh, the si- <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, good. Well, he- next. <laughs> um, Check, please. Hugh, what are we going to watch next week for me to recommend? Uh, so I thought it, I thought we'd change from the sea to the <laughs> desert. So, uh, I thought we'd go in a different direction, and I thought, you know what? You seem you're on holiday, you're on your summer holidays now. I think you've got far too much free time in your life. So I think we're going to do the uh, classic Lawrence of Arabia, Fantastic. starring Peter O'Toole. Um, I think it's time that you became uh, cine literate. Quite frankly, well, this this is the the whole podcast is about finally what, you know finally about filling it? gaps that we feel guilty we should have. Yeah, I know some things. Omar Sharif's in it. You must have seen. You must have seen almost certainly. I don't years, remember any surely. specifics. I think there's one where they see them in the distance in the desert. I think I think I'm right in saying maybe. Um, and I got this from a, some some bit of trivia for another film. At the end, and it's a bit of a shame that I know this. If it is true, don't they like get to the end of the desert and it's like basically not modern times, but it's like oh, it's they they like. I don't know. Clearly, I don't know anything. Those damn dirty apes. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know anything about the film. I mean, it's not set in the... Yeah, I mean, it's not set in, like, the far no. future, and they think they're in, like... No, it's... Like it's the village, or the... And that Shamalan. It's set in a very... The, I mean, the, the, the premise is pretty simple, to be fair. Yeah. But, yeah, we're going to do that next week. Sam, do you have, what, what, what would you ask me next, Sam? What I would ask um, is, if the listener wants to get in touch with us and maybe tell us their views on Lawrence of Arabia or ask where they can get in touch with the Dakota. British people. How might they do that, Hugh? Yeah. Uh, so what they need to do is they need to join some sort of oceanographic expedition to uh, chart under the mm. sea. Maybe go look for Sebastian and get him to sing that <laughs> song. Um, yeah, and hopefully what, they, hopefully what they'll have on board that boat uh, their you know their boaty muck boat face <laughs> is um, some sort of access right. to the internet and they can email us have you heard of it Dakota it's all the rage <laughs> um, it's, so if they want to email us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com Sam if, they, if they're too lazy to do that and they, you know they, they, they can't swim or something you know I'm not even a strong <laughs> swimmer um, how can they get in touch with us on social if they media? can find maybe like a low cost budget submersible um, uh, that's got Wi-Fi as well <laughs> then they might also get onto Twitter we are on Twitter at Please Watch Pod we're also on Facebook but we don't hey. use that all that much 
I'm the one who does the jokes <laughs> on Jim. More importantly, though, Dakota, how can they get in touch with you? Tell us, you know, where can they find your podcast? How can they get in touch yeah. with, you, with you for questions and so on? Well, my yeah, you like... just got the internet, so you're in luck. <laughs> Uh, you can Sweet. you can follow the show. <laughs> you can the, the show is called ContraZoom Pod. I'm on all the platforms. You can I'm mostly active on Instagram, but also on Twitter at ContraZoom Pod. Drop me a line. I'd love to to hear what you guys are, are thinking. Um, my last show I did a, a history of the Criterion Collection. I've got an upcoming one about Comic Con at home. I'm doing lots of great stuff, and I, and I really hope to have one or both of you on the show in the future because uh, you guys are a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that would be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we'd, we'd yeah. like that a lot. What I mean, how... Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do the jokes. <laughs> you can be the face of the organisation. How do you find Instagram for uh, for podcasts? We, we just... It feels like we'd have to put on photos and I don't really want to do that. <laughs> you can just put photos of you in fancy Well, that's, that is what I want to do, obviously. <laughs> Well, I could mm. I could tell you, or I could just say go to my hey, Instagram to find out and give a me a follow. Smart. But you know, how would they do that? Usually, because I'm <laughs> ContraZoom Pod is the Instagram name. But uh, seriously, yeah, like I'll I do a graphic specific for every episode, right. like you guys do as well. And so that'll usually be my my Tuesday when no, the we show don't do comes a out. Graphic specific for each episode. <laughs> Why don't you like slap on? I mean, like you put like the the movie title, just right? Oh, I just type in the movie title. Yeah, I don't do anything. Yeah, special. so that's that's a graphic specific right, for each episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I so I'll do that on Tuesday, week. and then uh, like I'll, I'll if I'm reviewing a movie specifically, I'll pull stills right. from it or the people involved in it. So uh, so it's just wh- whatever I, I have, and then I'll, I'll you know my blurb will just be like, oh, I talk about this person in the podcast. So it's not you at the gym it's, with a I film on in the background, like <laughs> with a yeah, muscle shirt. Yeah. <laughs> well, I still Obviously, do that, yeah, but you know that's usually day three or day four. Yeah, poolside in some shorts with a martini and his yeah. iPad. <laughs> Vaguely, you can see the film with yeah, his yoga flexing. pants on, <laughs> with like some. With some blonde beauty, <laughs> some arty beauty on his arm. <laughs> right, right, well, 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 thank, thank you very much for coming on, Dakota. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Hey, we like having you on. It's uh, been good fun. We learned something about hockey, yeah, which is more important. <laughs> yeah. So make sure you stay tuned for please watch this hockey. Game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please puck this. Please watch this sports. sports. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> please puck this. Yeah, again, you got to be yeah, careful about that, haven't you? <laughs> Right. well uh, listener all it takes the final thing is to to say that we love you or at least I do I don't know about Hugh he still loves you (laughs) and uh, and we'll talk (laughs) at you next week (laughs) take care see you next week bye
parecer Zero a zero, agora eu vou Você deu mole, então eu marco o gol Zero a zero, você venceu Passe amanhã e pegue o que é seu